0: Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and I am on the podcast with co host Joe748. How are you doing, Joe748? Good, good. And how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. And we also have with us Nichols. How are you doing, Nichols? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We are going to be talking about something I just started jotting notes down maybe a month ago you know, sometimes my brain runs on a topic and the topic my brain was running on is the do's and don'ts of AP networking. And fortunately, both Nichols and Joe Sum48 have a bit of experience with networking, as do I, I, I suppose. But one of the things I've been thinking about recently is ways that being a successful AP, there's different tiers of it. But if you want to move beyond just doing a little card counting on your own, it probably involves meeting and knowing other card counters. And so with that in mind, I just wanted to talk about some of these things and get these guys input and feedback on how to go about networking and how to not go about networking. Does that sound good, Joe? Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember the first AP you met?
1: Wow. That's a good question. I met a lot of people who thought they were APs at the beginning at the table.
0: Uh, Tell me more.
1: No, but yeah, the first person I met who was like an actual AP, I think was at the M in Las Vegas, like really early on. And, you know, we're both raising our bets at the same time. It was at a double deck table. We're just like, oh, this is going to get interesting. (laughs) And then I think we both got backed off and then we went and got dinner at the famous Island Sushi Oh, yeah. And it was a Vegas local that showed me a few great spots that we still visit today. And then we just went around the town basically and just played together at a bunch of places. But
0: right on. So that was a positive first experience. Yeah. 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 What about you, Nichols? Do you remember the first AP you met? I'm not sure if this is the very first AP I met, but it's
2: the one that sort of sticks out my memory. And it was not such a great experience. I knew him through discord and and agreed to meet up with him in deadwood and you know i told him like hey this is what i'm wearing this is where i'll be hanging out and he sees me on a table and jumps on the table with me which <laughs> is already kind of a no-no yeah and i left him to his game and we met up a little bit later and talked and it became clear pretty quickly that he was kind of a half-assed card counter. Mm -hmm. where he like maybe read half of a book, understood kind of how it works, but not really. And he had been running good. So he was tricking himself into thinking that he was better than he was. And then we fast forward a few months, and he happens to be in Vegas at the same time as me. Recognizes me at a table, sits down with me, and that brought his heat onto me. Oh, no. So it got me backed off along with him. And then it progressed to like this long story where he ends up driving from Vegas to Wisconsin with no brakes. Oh no. But that's a whole other story. But that's the first one that sticks out in my mind.
0: Sounds like a high risk of ruin person. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, I was introduced into card counting from an AP. So that was my first experience. And it was showed me the ropes and we teamed up for years. So that all went well. But the first like Time we met with another person that was from BJ21.com, their green chip forum. And we meet the guy. And he's like, one of the first things he said was, So what do you do with the 16 against a 10? And we're like, oh, well, if it's positive, you stand. And if it's, you know, not positive, you hit. And he's like, Yeah, but just when you know the dealer, you know you're gonna bust, you stand, right? And we're like, okay, this guy's not really, not really an AP, moved on. But we teamed up with someone that we met. And it was, I mean, instrumental to our success. So I've had really positive, but also some negative experiences along the way as well.
1: Colin, what was it like networking back then before all these forums, all these online, like how did
0: you meet new card counters? We wrote each other letters. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, yeah, bj21.com was the main forum back then, but we would, you know, occasionally bump into someone at a casino and then get to talking with them, exchange phone numbers. And it wasn't often, but it was just so great to meet someone else. We had a bad experience. We teamed up with another team. We just did like one play at a casino. It went terribly and very quickly. It was like, okay, we can't trust working with these guys, even though they were really smart, just kind of like Nichols experience. They were high risk of ruin personalities But yeah, I mean, I guess there was BJ21, and then you meet people and get their phone number, and we would exchange some intel here and there. Yeah, what was your experience like in this state or that state or whatever? But really keep those antenna up on if this is someone you'd actually want to work with versus just kind of have in your general network, which we'll get into all that stuff. But does that answer your question, Mr. 748? Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. Well, let's just get into, so I just wrote down some do's and don'ts. And let's start with number one I wrote down, which is don't look to socially engineer all situations. What comes to your guys' mind when I say that?
1: Well, I I think people can sniff out when others are, you know, basically don't want any type of friendship at all and completely just want to leech information or just have it a a one-way transaction, basically.
2: One instance comes to mind that's a pretty good example of what not to do. This was a few years ago. It was after a boot camp in like 2019, I think it was, and like old boot camp attendees and people were there hanging out, and this guy was just going around and like every person he met, he would be asking them, "So where are you finding your best of this kind of play? Like no shame at all. just that's the first thing he asks everybody. And that's you know a pretty good way to get yourself onto people's list of persons they don't want to do business with because there's no there's no give and take the guy's just coming up to you hey where are you finding this kind of play and that's not something that you really
0: freely give out yeah absolutely I mean it's tough you know like this made me think of there's a friend that I knew that he wrote something about attending a conference and this is for like I don't know people that go to conferences and he said it was like tips for going to a conference and one of them is like don't be looking just to use everyone for yourself constantly and you're going to a conference to benefit yourself well we're we're networking in advanced play because it'll benefit ourselves but when you're going about it in a way where you're just trying to benefit yourself all the time it's not going to be effective it's going to be annoying at the least and I think like these guys said like counterproductive a lot of the time and so yeah. You want to increase your network so that you generate more EV overall. But if you go about it where you're saying, okay, how do I use this person? How do I use this person? Rather than like, hey, here's a human being that is also interested in this. Maybe we could benefit each other at some point. That would be great. But, you know, maybe I can just benefit them in some ways that people have benefited me. And if it turns out they benefit me, wonderful. I think that'll result in more friendships and actually more success networking over the long haul.
1: Yeah. Use your social engineering skills for beating your opponent, which is the casino, not your fellow peers.
0: Yeah. Anything else you guys want to add to that? Just that, you know, there's a time
1: and a place for
2: social engineering. Like Joe said, usually that's with people at the casino, that are like working for the casino, not with your peers.
0: (laughs) You're going to turn into a, into a sociopath. If you're just going about life saying, how do I, use everyone constantly. And that's that's not going to work out well for anybody. All right, moving on to number two. Do look to help others when and how you can. What was that strike in your guys' minds? So one example of that would be anytime somebody
2: makes it known, either to myself or maybe they make a comment on the forum that leads me to believe that this is the case. And I know that they're going to be in my neck of the woods, which isn't very common. I'm in a pretty remote area, but when it does happen, I always try to reach out. and I'm more than happy to meet up with them and discuss more intimate details of the places they are going to play because I'm very familiar with those few casinos and not a lot of people are. So I know that I can help out that way and, For those of you that maybe are a little bit of a sociopath already, this does benefit you too, because a lot of these people have gotten back to me later on where they found something interesting and brought it to me because I was willing to help them out with this other thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's it's a final like you don't want to give away the farm, but you also, you know, don't just want to take, 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 or you don't want to like do the whole like keeping score of all of your information you gave to every single person and then waiting for that to come back in return. It's kind of, you have to do it on good faith, but also you don't have to give away all of your, you know, secrets. And
2: Right. There's a difference between just having a reciprocal relationship and one where you're keeping score of who did what for who. And that's definitely a line you don't want to cross. You do want to reciprocate, but sometimes you don't have anything for them and sometimes they don't have anything for you and that's fine you know, you can still just be friends and help out when the opportunity arises.
0: Totally. There, there's like two sides to this in my mind. One is like, look to help. And when I think of this, there've been some meetups with APs that I've been to over the years where I'm like, oh, you know, hey, I'm calling. Tell me how you how you got involved in Advantage Play. And they're like, I can't talk about it. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, where do you live? I can't talk about it. Oh, what do you do? I, I can't talk about it. Okay, <laughs> well you know, if you approach it that way, yeah, you're going to have a hard time networking with anyone. But the second half is like when and how you can. And I've been kind of sharing with some people, especially people that are new to advantage play, the whole idea that loose lips sink ships, like things get burned when they get talked about too freely. And so I want to help people, but I also want to say, is this going to, and I'm not really thinking about myself, like I'm doing okay, not being in casinos much but I don't want to burn my friends opportunities. And so I'm thinking like, can I share this or not? And even if it pertained to me, like if an AP friend had some information that would benefit me, I wouldn't want them to share it with me if it would be bad for them. You know, like I'm not saying like, Ooh, if they tell me this, it's going to make me money. Yeah. It's going to cost them a ton of money. (laughs) Like, That's not the kind of networking I want to do. I want it to be sharing information when and how I can to benefit other people, but not in a way that's going to burn other people. And I don't want people sharing with me stuff that's going to burn their own honey hole. I think a good way
1: to go about it is I used to do this with my friend who was playing a lot in a lot of different weird kind of places or international, you would want to call them like, quote unquote, like secret games or here and there, but it's not a bad thing to just you know, when you're talking to them, ask, Hey, when you're done with the game, can you let me know when you're done with it? And then if it's cool, if I hit it after you, it's just sort of, you can ask that it's fine. But I I wouldn't ask my friend like, Hey, where is it? Where are you going to play? Like, where, where's the game you're currently playing right now? That's been so great. It's always good to just
0: add, you know, when you're done. Yeah, totally. Uh, that's a good point. Oh, go ahead. Nichols. You had something to add?
2: Yeah. I was just going to say
0: there's, it's one
2: thing to like tell somebody that you're talking with that hey you should avoid this shift or maybe you should avoid this person and give them like little nuggets like that but it's a very different thing and it should be a much smaller group that you share information like hey there's this really sweet promotion going on that's worth like five percent off the top like that kind of thing isn't the thing that you just share with anybody who rolls through there's a difference between how valuable information is and you should discern like is this something that is shareable to my outer circle or is it something that should stay within my inner circle or even just myself?
0: Yeah. And if there's something that is of unique value, like you're not a jerk if you're keeping it to yourself for a time in the same way, like Joe was saying, Hey, when you're done with it, if you could let me know, it's okay to say, well, when I'm done with it, I'll, I'll share this. It's a tough job. There is competition in certain ways. And you know, we've always tried to be different with the forum and Casino 411 at Blackjack Apprenticeship to say like, hey, look for ways to benefit each other. And I think we'll all do better, but that doesn't mean, you know, share everything because that's how things spread and get killed and and nobody makes any money off of it. So moving on, I think Joe even mentioned my next point. So let's jump into it now, which is don't keep a scorecard of give and receive. What is that? Have you guys ever kind of known someone that you could tell they're trying to keep track of if they've received as much as they're giving, or it's like, well, you're going to have to give me something to receive something from you.
1: I mean, I think this kind of bleeds into a lot of other parts of life aside from AP. I mean, I think you can find this in your friendships or family relationships, you know, this sort of, we could get really deep on this psychologically, but we can save that for another podcast, but it is it sort of comes stemming from like a feeling of insecurity that your friendship is not valuable if you don't have everything completely squared up and and even all the time or the other person's not going to, you know, show you love and if if you're not going to have this equal footing. So just along those same lines, I don't know that
2: I encountered it a whole lot within an AP specific context, but it's the same thing as like going out to lunch with a friend and One person pays for the meal and then the other person going, well, I have to get you back next time. I have to, I have to, or the other person thinking that the other person has to get them back at the next one. Otherwise, they're not friends anymore. You know, like, yeah, I've encountered people like that, that it always has to be dead even who's paid for how many meals, who's paid for how many game tickets, you know, and that's never a fun situation. So don't do that an advantage play either because nobody likes it in any other context either.
1: I think when it gets dangerous is like it's not so much, I mean, I think we all kind of keep some kind of tally in our minds of things because that's just a human thing. But I think where it gets bad is when the person feels that they're in debt and then they start to withhold like friendship or start to withhold communication and kind of holding that over you. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's one thing if you Realize after some time that this person is like clearly just using you to receive. Well, then you might say, okay, this isn't the relationship I thought it was. But I think Joe's right. You know, you could think of other relationships if your relationship with a significant other, if they're just like trying to mooch from you constantly, oh, that's probably not a healthy relationship. But if you're keeping tab of every like, well, they did this nice thing for me. I guess I can reciprocate and be nice to them. Like that's also super dysfunctional. We don't want to go about any relationships that way, or it's going to be all transactional. Right. And like, it's one thing to
2: like, okay, somebody covered the tab twice in a row. That's no big deal. But if it's like every single time one person is, oh, I don't have my wallet. I don't have cash. Sorry. Then it's
0: a problem. Absolutely. Awesome. Moving on. Number four, do look for win-win opportunities. Anyone have a good story of a win-win opportunity?
2: Yeah. And I I talked about this during another podcast interview, the Joker play. So there was a a condition of that was that, uh, you know, the table max was so low and you can only play so many spots on the table. So bringing in somebody who wouldn't have otherwise been aware of the play and been able to get in on it at all was helpful because he got to play a different game and generate some UV and he was able to help me generate more by getting more money on the felt.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Can you think of any, Joe? I've got one while you're thinking. There was a game that we found that had a unique side bet and I didn't know how to analyze it, but reached out to someone who could and they were able to... Analyze it and, and realize it was quite valuable, and so they went in on it with us. And it, to me, I was like really happy about that. It was information I couldn't figure out on my own, and then they weren't going to be able to play it. And so I was like, "Hey, great, let's do this together." And everybody made money. Everyone was happy, happy in the end. And to be honest, I probably have a hundred of those stories over the last twenty years from you know the church team and and before we knew some guys that knew how to they knew some opportunities that we didn't know anything about, but we knew how to run a team. And so we would get together, I would get together with them every few months and we would just like talk shop and they could be like, Hey, how do you deal with this? And I was like, really happy to help with how we went about the structure and dealing with some of the challenges of a team. And they were willing to help by, you know, giving us some intel on things that we didn't wouldn't otherwise know about. Yeah. I mean, I can think of, uh, there was like a local play I was doing and, and it didn't re- really require
1: a teammate or anything like that. It was sort of just more of a solo thing. And it was kind of like the last thing I want to do is talk to like another AP or competitor in this space, but it kind of came down to a situation where it's just like, you can go solo and just, you know, road warrior sort of do this play and yeah, possibly maybe you'll make a little bit more or you can try and partner up with this person, you know, maybe take shifts, sacrifice the hours, and then hopefully it comes out to be the same or maybe a little bit more. And that's kind of what happened. We kind of agreed to like take shifts and switch turns on when we we're both going to be in the same place. And it did end up being beneficial for both of us because then when, you know, we would go on vacation, this or that, the other person would take over. And, you know, th- that was really helpful. So I think the first instinct is like, Oh, I got to keep this play like close to my chest. I got to hoard it, keep it all for myself. And I don't want to talk to any of these people, you know, who are competing for the same thing, but that friendship has developed and we've been able to help each other out and figure out new other plays to tackle together, you know, with two minds. So I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad I ended up interacting with this person and forming a friendship because the first instinct is like, no, get out of here. Get out of my space. We both want each other to just leave. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, I think I've told the story before, but we had a similar thing. We showed up at this promotion we were playing and these other APs that we knew were also there. And it was like, oh crap, you know, if we sit down together, this is not gonna last. But we worked out kind of a shift and everyone was happy in the end. Awesome. Moving on, number five. And this is probably maybe the most important one for people to hear if you're new to advantage play is don't blindly trust everyone that you meet that is a self-proclaimed or even if they are an advanced player, does this spark any thoughts in either of your guys' minds? Way too many. Oh no. Yeah. Well,
2: and it's a fine line to walk too between uh, like being healthily skeptical of other people and developing paranoid personality disorder, you know, cause there's a healthy level of paranoia where like you want to make sure that you're getting paid when you're out money and you want to make sure that someone's not going to just run off with your money. If you're like sharing a bankroll or something, one of the things that comes to mind for me is a couple of years ago, Stan Podolak and I tried our hand at doing the blackjack team thing. And, there was a member of the team on the first bankroll where and i'm not going to name names but there was a not so great situation that happened that cost the rest of us some money and that person was not somebody i knew and it's not somebody that stan podolak knew but we had this other guy who brought him on that when we trusted his judgment and just extended that to this other guy without really knowing him at all and so that's an example of blindly trusting somebody and it working out horribly.
1: Yeah, it's like, how do you, I think it's one thing that's good about the BGA community is you can kind of vet outside sources of these people, hopefully get some firsthand accounts of it working out with the person you're trying to work with. Sometimes it's so hard to tell. I mean, they can even seem like such a good AP and then you end up going in a situation and maybe it's not outright stealing, but maybe they're just totally gambling with the bankroll. I mean, that happens a lot. I mean, there's a bunch of different stories of different types of stealing. You know, it's not just they're misreporting their wins or losses or this. It could be just extreme sloppy play. It could be inebriated play, like unagreed upon.
2: <laughs> and it can show up in the record keeping in different ways
1: besides just weight loss too. Like say your split is based
2: on EV generated in some capacity and they're playing, you know, like a pitch game with three other people at the table. And then they go into the records and report 200 rounds an hour
0: that's a form of stealing too. Yeah. And, you know, like I'm proud of the BJA community, but at the same time, there, there have been members that word comes out later that they were stiffing people they were partnering with and I don't keep them as members, but there have been a couple of those horror stories. You know, I still have a few people that I've worked with over the years that owe me thousands of dollars from plays from years ago. And I'm over it at this point, but at the same time, like, yeah, that's the risk of trusting someone. On the flip side, I'd say I've made far more money from the people i partnered with than small amounts that I've been stiffed. But at the same time, that's, yeah, I'm glad I haven't become paranoid to the point where I don't work with anyone, but there definitely was a level of blind optimism when I was a lot younger that I don't have now. It's kind of like the first is like, is this someone I even want to continue talking with? And then I can talk with someone without working with them. And then it's a much going to take a lot more to get to a point where I say, Hey, this is actually someone I want to entrust with my money or, or whatever. And That's not as quick of a decision as maybe it was 20 years ago.
1: How do you deal with like those hard decisions where it's like, you know, the person plays really well and you trust them and everything, but let's say they've broken even for like 500 to 700 hours. Like, what do you do then?
0: Yeah, I mean, with the church team, there's only one person that we removed from the team because it was just like, your results are so bad after so many hours. And even with him, there was like one red flag. I I don't believe he was stealing, but there was a test out where he was like horrifically off on the count once. And so then we said, okay, I don't know what happened, but you're gonna have to get tested out, and you know, not play for a couple of weeks. Test you out again before you can play again. And he did. He passed the test out, but then he just kept losing. And we reached a point where I was like, you know, trust you, but we got to make a business decision here. That's not in Holy Rollers, so don't guess who it is. But other people, it's got to be multiple pieces of information. Like a couple people that still owe some money they weren't winning and there were some red flags. And then when I was like, Hey, going to need to get your bankroll money back when they didn't have it, it was disappointing, but it wasn't like the most shocking thing in the world. It's like, okay, there's like multiple red flags. And I don't think that they were trying to steal from that. I think that some other things happened, maybe whatever. I don't, I don't want to get into it, but I guess my point is there's usually multiple pieces of information or red flags. And so I try to take in all the information and decide like, does it add up to that? this is someone I really feel comfortable with. And with, with those guys, I, I wasn't feeling comfortable for a while, but it was like, but they're getting in so many hours and it's going to turn around they'll start winning. And then at some point enough red flags to move on. And then, Oh, and look, they didn't tell me that they had dropped a 10 strap six months ago and don't have the money. And they're trying to pay it back slowly or whatever.
1: Yeah, Nichols, how often have you heard of stories of people stealing and things like that in the community in general? It seems to come up
2: pretty often. It's less on BJA. I think there's, I think the paywall prevents some of would be ne'er do wells from joining, not not 100% of them, but like, especially if you just lurk on Blackjack the Discord, that seems like every couple of months, some story comes up. And every so often, it's even just a, misunderstanding of how they were going to settle up and so like i think that's another thing to note is that when there's a misunderstanding it's a good idea to not jump straight to an assumption of malice on the other person's end like make sure the agreement's clear and try to talk it out with them first before assuming that they're just trying to stiff you i know that there was a recent one where it started with a misunderstanding and then Another guy decided to retroactively add a condition that every time the other party engaged in an ad hominem attack, he was going to deduct twenty five dollars from what he paid him and you know, and stuff like that's not cool. Oh boy,
1: yeah, I feel like that happens a lot with the gambling community because I feel like in this, there's not a lot of written contracts, right? In the way we work, it's right. a lot of like handshakey type deals, things like that. Like it's not as laid out as it is in other kinds of business.
2: And so much is done in cash, too, where it's like there's not really a paper trail of it either.
1: Yeah. Of the stories you heard of other, like, straight-up stealing, like, how did they do that? Like, straight-up stealing cash? Yeah, or, like, the stories that weren't a negotiation mix-up, it was other kinds of, like... Sometimes
2: it starts with trusting somebody that they just met in a casino and then letting that person crash in their comped room and then waking up and the money's gone.
1: Oh my God, you know, Jeez. that's yeah.
2: hap- I've heard a few stories like that. Wow, a few stories where someone that they had known for a while and thought they could trust got access to a portion of their bankroll and started taking money, things like that.
0: Or I've heard a few stories of someone that actually was super knowledgeable, and so it's like, oh man, this guy's helping me out and and has access to this valuable AP play, and then. Gets time to settle up the money, and they stiff them, they skip town, or they just say like, "Nope, I'm giving you this," and that's not what we agreed upon. Well, too bad, that's what I'm giving you. And I've heard some of those stories too. And so that's where again, like, you got to have your antenna up, but also you don't have to jump into trusting someone 100% right away. You know, like work with them in in a way that you're not actually combining bankrolls. And then maybe there's a like a single a small play if someone's like. The only risk beyond that is like the long con, which can and has happened, but it's going to roll out probably 80% of the bad situations. If, you know, like, yeah, does a person drink a lot? You know, do they drink when they play or things like that can save you a lot. Just getting to know them and small levels of trust before big trust decisions. All right. Well, that was depressing. (laughs) Let's move on to number six, which is do value like crazy the people that you can trust? Does this spark any thoughts for you guys? Or maybe here's another way of phrasing it. I don't know the answer to this, but have you guys made more money from networking than if you hadn't? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think it's you kind of have to. I think there's a kind of a ceiling if you don't network at all. I mean, it's just really, really important because you can't be everywhere all the time. You can't
0: know where everything is all the time. You don't, you know,
1: yeah, you definitely need to branch out there. Nichols, can you
0: elaborate any more on the value of networking in your career? Sure. I mean, a couple of different
2: things come to mind. One of them is just, you know, sometimes through knowing somebody, you discover a new angle, or maybe it's not even that they teach you this new angle exists, but that they inform you about a play and it's like something you never really considered venturing into. And then that relationship turns into okay well now now i have like all of these other ways to generate uv at my disposal just because this person helped me out with finding this one play and encouraged me to learn more about this game in my case that's video poker which is fairly well known you know bob dancer's written a few books about it and so like i had never even considered getting into video poker i never would have thought that was something that would interest me but Knowing somebody that I had worked with before, he found you know a really good opportunity, and that led me to start playing that game. And then you know I find another opportunity and bring him on it,
0: but it's an opportunity that I never would have found if he didn't bring me in on the first one. Yeah, that's awesome. Going back to what you said, Joe, I I was thinking about that. You basically said if you don't network, your career is not going to last as long. And I think even going back to the early card counters and APs the people from, you know, 40, 50 years ago, it seems like there's always going to be, and always has been a group of people that kind of like, they learn the skill, they use it, they make some money, and then they kind of like burn themselves out of it. And it's been a little bit interesting. There've been a handful of BJA members that that was their story. And then they've gotten back into it in the last, you know, 10 years or whatever, but when you think about how they burned out from it, it's I think that they were generally on an island. Like It's like, okay, back then, it might be like Vegas and Atlantic City. Oh, I've been barred everywhere. And the people that continue to have success, the Richard Munchkins or the Tommy Highlands, they had networks where they were evolving. They were learning about the shoe computers or hole carding or whatever it may be. But if you didn't have a network, it's like, oh, I can't use this skill or I don't know where else I could use this skill, so I'm done. And I think it's the exact same thing today. People that want to stay in the game, it's going to be necessary at some point to not be on an island as an AP. How do
1: you ride the line of networking with casino employees? Where does that go? Like when you you start to like talk to them, trying to get intel, but not giving away too much. Like, has anyone had any problems with that? Has that been beneficial? for people? Like, do you guys have any instances of networking with casino people that ended up doing okay or or being detrimental to your career?
2: It's a tricky one because, I mean, first off, the number of casino employees that are actually sharp enough to be of much value are pretty small. But I mean, you can get value the other way too, right? So being careless with information. But it's a, it's a tricky line to walk because you don't want to get into the territory of Like collusion or something illegal going on. And you also don't want to cost that person their job, even if it's like something that is perfectly legal for them to share, but it's something their employer doesn't want them to. I mean, I've definitely had like unspoken relationships with dealers where, you know, maybe a couple bucks an hour is worth a better cut or something. But yeah, it's really tough to toe that line. I don't, I don't really know what to say about it other than it's really challenging and it's, And it's not that often that you find somebody sharp enough to help you. So when you do find them, like we should value all the people that we trust, but those relationships with casino employees can be so rare that maybe like a little extra, you know, make sure that you take care of that relationship.
0: Yeah. I've always been very leery of any sort of official relationship with a dealer. It's one thing if like Nichols said, uh, they're giving me a better cut or something like that for a small tip. I've had dealers offer me some information like, yeah, they don't think you're an advantage player for this reason or or whatever, but I'm not like taking it beyond that. I've always been afraid of because I could see it going downhill pretty quick. But what about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's like they might help you out for a little bit, but always keep in the back of your mind, like as they probably should. I mean, they're probably going to choose their job over you, push comes to shove when things start to, you know, pressure start to come on to them. So just be careful of that. Yeah, I would definitely be on guard. But also, I've had a lot of valuable information through networking with casino employees. Like, I don't know how many tens of thousands of dollars in EV I've probably gained from information I've gotten from becoming friends with the casino employees. But, but yeah, you do have to be careful as
0: well. How do you know where to draw the line that it's not like collusion or anything? I think it's, yeah, it's really tough. I mean, I would be
1: a little bit more worried being friends with a dealer who's physically dealing the cards at the table to you Mm -hmm. and being seen with them in and around outside the casino and stuff like that because they can directly affect the game, whereas other people maybe not so much. And it's it's a lot more gray as far as like... Because, I mean, they could give you some information... Or like they can give you insight of like how much they're looking at you or what they think of you. I don't think that's illegal to get their opinion on what surveillance or what a a different manager thinks of you, you know, but.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I guess wrapping it up with this last point, like I am very thankful for the people that I can trust, that I know they are gonna have my best interest in mind. They know I have their best interest in mind, stuff like that. Those people are just invaluable as friends and in the ap network i remembered what i what i was going to say like there's this framework i'll try to keep it brief it's like wise foolish and evil it's from a couple books i think dr henry cloud has a book where he talks about this and this kind of rubric is like a wise person is someone like you can trust like sure they might make mistakes but they're always going to want to make it right a foolish person is someone that like you can't trust them with as much information you can't trust that doesn't mean there's someone you have to cut off. It's just like, yeah, I'm not gonna partner with this person. I gotta have some healthy boundaries with this person. And then what he calls an evil person is someone that's like out to exploit you, out to hurt you, out to do you harm. And those people you just gotta like completely avoid and cut off. And the reason I bring it up is I think it's helpful to know, yeah, there are those people you have to completely stay away from. There are people that you need to be cautious, like have really healthy boundaries with them. If they've shown themselves to not be... Trustworthy in terms of like, you wouldn't trust them with your money. That doesn't mean you have to cut them off. There are people that maybe drink more than I would feel comfortable with when they play. Well, great, like we can still be friends, but I'm not going to bankroll them or whatever it may be, or or the way that they protect their money. They're a little looser with it than I would feel comfortable with. But then there's those people that you totally trust and just be very, very thankful for them, and thankful that that you can have those kinds of people and APs in your life. Coming towards an end here, we've got the best way to have a good reputation is to be a reputable person. Does that stick out to you guys at all? Like, there could be all this thought on like we can gain from other people and what they need to be, but you know, maybe we should put the same introspection on ourselves. Like, are there areas like (laughs) Red Robin? We call them areas of improvement. Like, do I have some areas of improvement? Some ways that, like, you know, I always want to be asking myself do I have some shortcomings or some flaws that might be a red flag to other people? Are there ways that I can be a better friend, a more trustworthy person, that I'm not sinking ships with loose lips, that I'm not bad-mouthing other people, all those sorts of things, rather than having all the focus on other people?
1: Yeah. And I think just a little can go a long way too, as far as just helping out people. Like It doesn't have to be you give them a play that's worth five thousand dollars an hour. Like it could just be some guidance or advice or a listening ear. It's like I've several times I've you know met a lot of BGA members, you know, helping out with all the boot camps and networking things like that. And I've had several of them come to me years later. Bill, like yous they remember the moment so clear. It was like well, so helpful for you to give me the advice on this thing at that time. Like it, it really like lifted me up. And I didn't think of it like I was helping them that much. I was just talking to him and just trying to give any kind of advice I could, but. You know, the AP world is, it's a hard work sometimes and it's emotionally hard work. And sometimes you don't have a lot of listening ears or helping hands around. So yeah, a little can go a long way, just trying to help each other.
0: (laughs) You have anything to add, Nichols? Along
1: the same lines, you know, that's
2: that a little can go a long way. And even just, and that helping out, like Joe said, it doesn't have to be giving somebody a big like six figure opportunity. It can just be as much as somebody reaches out with a question and you answer it for them or they you know need some advice on game selection or something and you just help them out with that or bankroll management and then you know as far as like being a reputable person goes i think i think a big part of that just comes down to how you treat the people that you interact with and especially how you treat the people you depend on right like if you're managing a team for example the way you treat your players if you're working with a partner the way you treat them i think is a big part of that and of course it should go without saying but i want to make sure it's clear when you have an agreement with somebody and you owe them money settle up Mm. promptly like it doesn't have to always be immediate if it's not something you can do but it's got to be you know in a timely manner.
0: Yeah, that's good. Totally. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about my kids. It's really common with my kids where they're saying, well, if she did this and then the other one's like, well, she did that. And like no one's willing to look, <laughs> look at themselves. And I think that that happens with us adults. It happens in the AP world too, where like, we're not looking at ourselves. Are we someone worth trusting? Is there a reason we might be having to challenge networking is it just that other people are the problem or are there ways that we could be someone that people will value more? I just see it from the outside and I see, see new APs come in and like, they're like a bulldozer or a, or a bull in a China shop, just trying to like gain, 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 and they're saying too much and they're like, well, maybe if you worked on on some of your rough edges, this would go a little more smoothly for you. So that's just take it or leave it. That's some advice. Awesome. Anything else you guys want to share with people before we wrap this up?
1: Yeah. So like, where are the good places to network? Basically,
0: you know, I think the, the regional BJ
1: chats are a good place to start. I think a lot of networking happens kind of in person. So if, if you can go to your regional local network on the BJ chat and try to see who's around you, I feel like a lot of networking happens in proximity. Yeah, and that's true of like most human relationships,
2: right? We get to know the people that are literally proximally closest to us over time. So I think the regional chats on BJA are good. I would would be a little cautious there just with oversharing information publicly on those chats because it's come up a few times recently where somebody shares with somebody privately Hey, this is a place that I think would be a good place for you to hit. They're really tolerant. And then that person goes and blows it up on the regional chat to everybody else in the area. Yeah. So I would be careful with stuff like that. But I think the regional chats are great. Blackjack Apprenticeship, of course, I think it's the best platform out there, but it's not the only one. There's, you know, Discord and there's other free forums out there. So, like, Blackjack Apprenticeship has a lot of good going for it. There's only one negative and that's that you're kind of limited to the people who paid for a membership, right? So Discord and those other forums are a good way to maybe expand your potential network. But be warned that because it's a free service and because people can have like multiple alternate accounts, it's a little bit riskier. Doesn't mean that you're not going to find good people there, it just means you should maybe be a little extra cautious.
0: Yeah. And regardless of where it is, like I've said before, there's different levels of trust. You don't start with like, oh, you're a BJA member. I'm a BJA member. Here's my bankroll. Let's go play. Take your time, build trust with people, wherever that may be. Anything else? Be active on the forums. It's a lot more likely that you will get help
2: when you're looking for it. If people have some idea of who you are, as opposed to if you're just some rando sending them a message.
0: That brings up another good point. And I I hesitate to say this because I don't want my inbox blowing up. But if there's someone that you're thinking about getting involved with, it doesn't hurt to ask another AP if they have any experience with them, positive, negative. So yeah, don't don't blow up my inbox asking me about every person on the forum because I probably don't know. But there are some people that could have been saved if they would have just, asked around a little bit, you know, if it turns out it was someone that was well known, maybe not on BJA, but well known to be exploiting people. If they simply would have asked about the person's reputation, it would have saved them a lot of money and a lot of hurt. Well, awesome. Thanks guys. That's really helpful. I hope this is helpful for those listening. And just so people know, we do have a boot camp coming up. I don't like giving the exact date, but it's coming up in October and there's still a couple spots available. If you want to find out more, go to blackjackapprenticeship.com slash bootcamp. You know, we'll have a discussion about this in the BJA forum. We'll post this podcast and get the discussion going. So you guys can share your questions, comments, experiences with us there. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time.
1: See ya.